Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Salatu Salamu, Allah Rasulihi Sayyidina Muhammad, Allah Alihi Sahbihi Wabad. Alhamdulillah, MashaAllah, by Allah's Father, we got this new space. And uh, as the books on the Masnad indicate, we have the Risalat ibn Abi Zayd in Maliki Fiqh, we have the Riyal al Salihin, and uh, we have our uh, Sibhas hanging for dhikr afterward. That this is a very simple uh, institution dedicated to. bringing to life those basics that are what gave life to the first part of this ummah and that saw the ummah through periods of darkness some of which may not be all that unlike the ones that we're going through right now <coughs> and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give barakah and to continue to facilitate this gift that he gave us that we did nothing to earn and to uh, keep us uh, meeting for his sake otherwise it's a rough world out there and it's trash better people than us so the last chapter that we read last week was a chapter with regards to showing off some Things I wanted to mention that we didn't have time because I feel like we like rushed through dars last time. It has to do with riyah, with showing off, being the opposite of, or an opposite of ikhlas of sincerity, for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. There are a couple of remarks from Mulana Ahmed Mulana uh, uh, Ahmed Ali Lahori rahimahullah tabarak wa Taala that my Sheikh Rahimahullah uh, mentioned that I thought are good to mention in passing right now. Mawana Ahmad Ali Lahori Rahimahullah Ta'ala was a convert uh, to Islam from Sikhism. He used to sign his name as Ibn Islam uh, because uh, his uh, actual father was not a Muslim so he didn't take uh, uh, lineage from him. He uh, was a, an extremely uh, pious and upright man uh, who carried a great hal with him wherever he went. He was at some point or another ejected from, he was at one point or another ejected from uh, uh, Delhi uh, and sent as an exile to Lahore uh, without any of his property, but he ended up becoming Ahmad Ali Lahori. Uh, his Dars of Tafsir used to be attended by thousands of people. Uh, and he was known to be a great wali of Allah Ta'ala that his uh, physical presence and glance had effect on people. People would come to him uh, in full belligerence with bad intentions. And uh, he, would, he would just look at them or talk to them and it would change them. He... Rahimahullah Ta'ala, the stories are uh, numerous, they're difficult to enumerate, but just so you know who he is. That he's the Shaykh of our Mashaykh as well. And uh, um, his grave is next to the grave of Mulana Sayyid Hamid Miya, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, and Mulana Musa Ruhani Bazi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. The three of them are buried in the same, uh, in the same like small section in the Miyani Saab uh, graveyard in, uh, uh, in Lahore. In that graveyard also is one of the Khulafa of Mujaddad al-Thani, Khaja Tahir Bandagi, Rahimullah Ta'ala, Rahimullah Tabarak wa Ta'ala, Qaddasallahu Asrarahum, as well as a number of ulama. Also in that graveyard, albeit somewhat far from there, but in the same graveyard also my uh, Nana is buried, and my mother's father, may Allah have mercy on both of them. Uh, so, from the from the time that Mulana Ahmed Ali Lahori's grave was dug, perfume comes from that piece of part of the piece of land, and then it was smelled again when Sheikh Musa was buried as well. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, these are these were great men of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Whether you believe in the perfume or not, you can believe the other things that they did. Uh, this is one of the stories I've mentioned in this dars as well, and it bears repeating that one of the things that the British did to torture him 
in order to get him to give fatwa, uh, recognizing the legitimacy of their rule, was they tied him to a slab of ice until he passed out uh, from like hypothermia. So when they took him off, the point was not to kill him, the point was to get the fatwa, otherwise they don't care if someone's alive or dead, they want something out of them. So they took him out, and they said, once he came back to consciousness, he says, how do you feel? He said that the body is cold, but the iman is as hot as it ever was. So basically, you know, like it's the, it's the, the Adam Phil way of flipping someone the bird. <laughs> we have crude methods to show the same, the same sentiments. Those people were people of style as well as substance, but they had like cool ways of saying. So they, he said that the, the, the body is cold, but the iman is as hot as it's ever been. Uh, so Mawlana Ahmad Ali Lahori Rahimullah Ta'ala in his discourse with regards to ikhlas, he said that ikhlas is to do something for the sake of Allah Ta'ala uh, based on the shahadatain. And people miss what that means. So the shahadatain has ithbat that you affirm that you worship Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala so something should be for the sake of Allah. But the part that they miss is that the the, the shahada has nafi in it as well, it has negation as well. So your deeds have to have both of them. If it doesn't have both of them, then it's not ikhlas. So you have to do something for the sake of Allah and you have to negate everything else other than the sake of Allah Ta'ala. This much was mentioned in the hadith Qudsi, that I'm the one who has, if you make me partners with, with others, I'm the one who has the least need of the partnership. So if you do something for the sake of someone other than me, I just give my share up to, uh, to the other partners and I leave that partnership. Uh, and so he mentions that. He says that you have to do it for the sake of Allah, but it's not enough that you're doing it for Allah. You also have to negate everyone else other than Allah Ta'ala from that act. It's very difficult. I don't think anyone really, or not many people talk about that in our qawm anymore. So obviously certain things have to be done in public. Not everybody who does something in front of the eyes of another are necessarily doing it in order to show off. But, uh, you know, you have to practice and train purging the, uh, purging the very, normal human, uh, very normal human impulse to do things for other than Allah Ta'ala as well, if you wish for that deed to be accepted from Allah. And it's difficult not to do it that way. Why? When you do something for another person, if they don't know that you did it, if the maqsad is to keep good relations with that person, then you're not going to be able to keep good relations with them if they don't know that you did it. But the problem is, is that with Allah Ta'ala, He already knows everything. And if He's the one you're trying to show, He's already seen it, you don't have to show other people. Showing other people, though, is a habit that we are, that's entrenched inside of us from the time we're children. So what happens? A hifz kid goes to do hifz in the Qur'an, and then he says, Ah, I got 100%, I got 99%. Right? Who's the one who gets 100%, 99%? The one who got a 50, who, got a, who failed in class, but he passes with Allah, he got 100%. The one who got 100% in this dunya and Allah doesn't want it, then he got zero. Uh, but it's pervaded everything that we do. And the point of that is not to say, okay, well, Hif's kids shouldn't get scores anymore, right? Obviously, it's good to test to make sure that the skills are passed along or whatever, right? But the point is, is this is that what is the overwhelming preoccupation everyone should have? Just like nowadays, the overwhelming preoccupation people have is with what grades did you get? How much money do you make? What school did you go to? What papers do you have? What documents do you have? What passport do you have? Which zip code are you in? All of these things. There is a civilization in which the pre pre overwhelming preoccupation is what? Is my Rabb Tabarak Ta'ala pleased with me or not? Or am I doing the A'mal of Islam? But the reality in my heart is the reality of Nifaq. And Nifaq is described in the Hadith of the Prophet Wasallam as being of two types. One is the type of Abdullah bin Ubay, which was the type that a person professes openly Islam, but the stone pillars that carry the load of kufr uh, are still erect and upright inside of their heart. And maybe ask Allah Ta'ala for protection from such a superlatively wretched state. The other nifaq is what? It's described as justice, that a person should do something for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, but they don't do it for Allah Ta'ala's sake. And so part of it is what? That you're doing the right thing in the right way, but it's partial, it's not completely right. 
Another is that you have certain other habits, you know, that you lie, that you uh, betray people's trusts, that you uh, break your contracts, you break your word with people, that you allow your disputes with one another to uh, get out of any sort of rational or logical boundaries. These are all uh, signs of nifaq amali, if they're, if, even if they're not accompanied with nifaq i'tiqadi. In nifaq amali, when it completely surrounds a person or completely encompasses a person, all of their deeds, then the two of them actually become the same thing. The two of them actually become the same thing. And, and so, uh, you know, this is, this is a little uh, discussion with regards to uh, riyah and why it's uh, such a, an important thing that a person should negate even if nobody else negates it. In fact, the uh, athar riyah is described as Showing off is described as what? As a shirk al-asghar, the lesser, the lesser shirk, which also then uh, conforms with this, uh, this uh, point that Mulana brought in his discourse with regards to sincerity, that, uh, that there, there are two different views of nifaq. When you talk about nifaq, you can talk about the partial nifaq, which is the operational practical nifaq, uh, practical hypocrisy. Or it can be the complete hypocrisy in which a person is, is intentionally lampooning Islam. But neither of them are a good thing. Uh, neither of them are something that a person should uh, be, be okay with uh, being described with. So this is a chapter regarding those things. Okay, now that people are going to be sincere, what happens? There's an overkill with it as well. The overkill with sincerity is not overkill in being sincere with Allah. That, the more the better. But what happens sometimes, the idea of sincerity weighs on a person so much that they no longer see anything else. So imagine this, if a person was so preoccupied with sincerity that they couldn't see anything else, that no one else, no one bothered doing any deed in public anymore. No one bothered going to the masjid, nobody bothered leading the prayers, nobody bothered teaching and learning, nobody bothered doing anything that anyone else can see anymore. Uh, this is overkill, and so he uh, 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 he'll he'll talk about how a person can easily uh, separate uh, separate these things. But it is possible. There's a lot to be said. Even though there's only one hadith in this chapter, there's a lot to be said about about the overkill as well. What happens? You become so. This is one of the reasons on Mu'minu Ghirun Karim, the believer is. Uh, the believer is uh, uh, gullible and generous. The gullibility is, has to do also with, with this thing about being sincere with everybody because you make a habit out of being sincere with Allah. You're not supposed to be sincere with uh, the creation like that because the creation is unlike Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That you do something for someone and they never find out. If you're commanded to love a person or make them happy, then they have to find out about, like, you know, you're not going to please your mother by doing stuff that she never knew about, right? You don't have to blast in her face everything she did, but sometimes it's okay to do something for your mother, for your father, for somebody whose heart you're supposed to reconcile for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, to let them know why, because, you know, if you're sincere with them, like, Allah Allah sees the ghayb, these people don't see the ghayb. In that sense, theoretically, if there was a way that you could do something even Allah didn't see, then what would the point be if you're not pleasing Him? But that's a very silly point. It's not a point at all to make. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, sees everything. So, uh, in line with that, and Abi Dharrin radiallahu ta'ala anhu qala qila li Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ra'ayta rajula ya'malu al-amala min al-khayri yahmaduhu al-nasu alayhi qala tilka ajilu bushar al-mu'mini. Rawahu Muslim. Sayyidina Abu Dharr al-Ghifari radiallahu ta'ala who said that uh, it was said or was asked of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam what do you say uh, what, what, what do you say about a man who does a, a good deed and then people praise him afterward for his good deed. So is meaning is the fact that people praise you for your good deeds is it a sign that you're being insincere? This is the question. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says no it's Rather, if anything, it's a uh, um, the quickest part of the glad tidings that Allah gives to a believer. So, mashallah, obviously, someone is sitting in a gathering of good people, and he does something good. Then the good people are going to like the fact that they did it because they're good, he's good, the thing was good, everyone's going to be happy. This is a good sign. 
the issue is this is until you build for yourself the habit of doing what's right for the sake of Allah Ta'ala without any conflict of interest, then uh, you don't know how to do that. Once you make a habit out of that, however, then the other things you do, when people are looking as well, you'll be doing for the sake of Allah Ta'ala because you trained yourself that way. I feel bad because many of my... Uh, um, Examples I give are not universally relatable, but here goes. When you're lifting weights, there's a proper technique of doing things, right? If you do squats with like you like arch your back and like, you know, you're stepping on your tippy toes or like, you know, if you like lift weight over your head and your, your, your shoulders are like way out of the socket and you're like ranking on your, on your uh, uh, rotator cuff or like, you know, something like that. When you do it with lightweight, what are you going to do it with heavyweight? You're going to do the same thing, even worse. You're going to kill yourself, right? Whereas if you correct your technique with lightweight and then put in a bunch of volume, then when you put heavyweight, you'll instinctively revert to tapping into that, tapping into that thing that's your habit. So a person can have bad technique with the lightweight, and it's not going to hurt them as much right away. But when it, they go to something that's going to be real, like heavy, like serious weight, then what are they going to do? They'll kill themselves, right? They'll destroy their knees. They'll destroy their shoulders. They'll destroy their back. They'll destroy basically everything. Everything that can get destroyed it will get destroyed. Uh, so you have to build the. You have to neurologically build the the, the, the patterns of movement that are healthy first. Then you'll be able to uh, deal with the heavier weights in the proper way later. Spiritually speaking, you also have to build the movement patterns inside of yourself that are correct with simple things and make it a habit so that when something dire comes in front of you, then you'll be able to revert to that kind of, that kind of movement pattern spiritually that you were accustomed to from before. This is why, for example, how many people here have embezzled a billion dollars? Nobody. Why? Because nobody trusted you with a billion dollars yet. We can all mouth, mouth off and thumb our nose at like big world leaders who will do stuff or like big businessmen that will do stuff like embezzle a billion dollars. How is it that when you're in a position to do that and get away with it, that you're going to be able to say no if you don't even know how to say no to not embezzling a dollar, not leaving a candy wrapper on the street knowing that no one will ever catch you and that you will get away with it. How will you be able, and the temptation is greater for what? For, for uh, to, to not bend over and pick up a candy wrapper or to get a billion dollars? The billion dollar temptation is going to be much stronger. If you want to lift that heavier weight, you have to first be train yourself in order to do those, those, those movement patterns until the, they become a habit for you, until they become natural for you. Because even this idea of fitra and nature and things like that, I think people overdo it a little bit sometimes when talking about them. People have different natures. As many natures as there are in the animal kingdom, that's how many natures there are amongst human beings. And so the human nature has a remarkable capacity for evil, which was pointed out by the angels, but it also has a remarkable capacity for good, which was pointed out by Allah. Uh, and Allah Ta'ala was on our side. Don't be... Don't be, uh, uh, you know, uh, ungrateful. And he stuck up for us at the dawn of our creation. Don't, don't uh, uh, you know, uh, don't be somebody who uh, uh, lets down that, that uh, uh, praise that he gave to our uh, species. So this is, this, is, this is what it is. Otherwise, stuff has to be done in public. People have to do things that other people see. Uh, and uh, none of it will be right until a person has the habit of being able to do things right uh, on their own in the first place. This is the chapter regarding uh, the prohibition of looking at a woman who is uh, uh, unmarriageable 
uh, or who is a marriageable non-relation. And in case people thought that uh, Islam is only patriarchal, see, look, mashallah, Muslims are also very uh, embracing of different uh, orientations and lifestyle. Not only is it haram to look at a, a un- unrelated woman, but also haram to look at a, a, a beautiful man who has no beard. Uh, <laughs> he actually mentioned that uh, explicitly. Uh, in case people think like being gay was something they invented in 1994. Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, for you know, and then he mentions the exception unless there's an exceptional need uh, that is sanctioned by the Sharia, which we'll talk about. And so he quotes the Book of Allah Taala. He says, "Say to the believers to lower their gaze, their gazes." And he says, "Most High, uh, indeed, the hearing and the vision and uh, the heart, all of those things are going to be asked about one day." Um, and uh, uh, Allah Most High says that He knows the one who's treacherous of the eyes uh, and the secret that is uh, uh, hidden by the heart. And uh, Allah Most High says, indeed, your Lord is waiting in ambush. This is a problem. The eyes are, I mean, all the senses are, but the eyes are in particular a, a, an open window into the heart. So looking at haram is really problematic. Uh, it's one of those things. I don't know what to say. I was just talking to, uh, you know, Muhammad al-Hassan, his older brother, I read fiqh from him. He told me, he says, even Mauritania, the way it is nowadays, don't think that it was always like that. He says, I remember when I was a kid, when uh, if you were walking down a pathway and there was a woman who was walking, if she saw a man from far away, she would go off the path and uh, cover herself and turn away. Until the man passed, she wouldn't even pass by 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 him directly. Uh, people used to have some more haya than they do nowadays. What are we going to pick on Mauritania for? Mauritania is still, mashallah, people have so much more common sense than uh, people do in the ci- cities, in the cosmopolitan places of the Muslims. And those people still have so much more sense than the nonsense, the Yahoo nonsense that we're running over here nowadays. And uh, it's really just gross. The, the fleshy grossness that people have to expose their nakedness all the time. It's dehumanizing for them, but it's also dehumanizing for us. I, as far as I can tell, it's a form of sexual abuse. We're the ones being abused as well as them abusing themselves. It's an abuse to us as well. And we should not accept this. And there, look, there's a, a dynamic you have to balance when it comes to, when it comes to dealing with people that you should have some sympathy Right. Oh, look, compassionate imam. Right. You have to have some 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 empathy for people. You know, they are where they are right away. Not everybody is like strong enough spiritually or mentally or in other ways to be able to do what's right because it's right. Some people are crippled with fear. Uh, they have phobias of, of, of like the disapproval of other people. The dean is meant for them as well. They're probably not good people to model your life on. They're not people to aspire to want to be like, and they're not people to put in positions of leadership, people who are cowards or weak. But at, that, at the same time, someone who is a weak person or someone who is coward, who admits, look, I'm weak or I'm afraid, uh, uh, and doesn't try to justify it or doesn't try to like make everybody else into a coward or into a, a, an afraid person or a weak person, you know, you got to cut those people some slack. So there's a fine line, right? So Sayyidina uh, Hassan bin Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was the poet laureate of the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he could, not, he could not stand the idea of fighting. Violence, fear, physical violence, it was too much for him. Overwhelmed him to the point where he would stay with the women when the companions radiallahu anhum would go out in the path of Allah ta'ala. Sayyidina Sauda, the Umm al-Mu'mineen radiallahu ta'ala anha wa alayhi salam Once when the companions were out, out of Medina uh, in jihad fi sabilillah, she saw there was a spy wandering the streets of Medina. She told him, go, go, go do something about it. He said, are you kidding? If I had enough courage to like face him off, do you think I would have like held myself back from going out with the army? And uh, so she herself snuck up on, on the spy and cracked him in the head with a, with a pan. 
The point is, is that we don't say, oh, look, he was a munafiq, he's a companion of the Prophet وسلم, and he also was, not only was he a companion, he was a mujahid in his own way. His ash'ar that he wrote spread the fame of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, through the corners. Anyone who would lampoon or write ash'ar uh, lampooning the Prophet وسلم, Sayyidina Hassan bin Thabit would write such ash'ar lampooning those people, they would shut up and they wish that they never opened their mouth against the Messenger of Allah وسلم. He wrote so many beautiful nata of the Prophet وسلم, they made the people love him before even having seen him before. So it's not like he was a useless person. But this one thing was a weakness, but he didn't like try to like be like, oh, look, you're all militaristic and violent and whatever. And, I, you know, Islam should be more artistic and blah, whatever. And, you know, everyone should be like me. No, it's just that, you know, you have to pe- meet people where, the, where they are. With regards to this issue, fine. Don't go to individuals and browbeat them. Like a lot of people... In particular, like a man is usually not under so much pressure to take his shirt off in this society. In most cases, hopefully, uh, if if you ever are, keep your shirt on, please. But uh, usually, women, the pressure is more on them to like take take off their hijab or this, that, and the other thing. And there are many situations you can use your common sense. If you don't have common sense, then probably sit this one out. But for those of you who do. You can use your common sense. There are many situations in which a woman is more cognizant of the fact that she doesn't have hijab on than you are when you're about to tell her. You know. But at the same time, at the same time, uh, uh, we should enforce certain norms in our gatherings. This is why we try to have the, the, the separation, the barrier. This is why we try to have the sisters dress in a particular way. This is why we try to, uh, 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 you know, separate between men and women, even though it's not a norm. Because this abuse that we suffer from one another again and again where uh, men and women mix and where uh, uh, men and women normalize uh, uh, abnormal interactions with one another it's not a good thing and uh, it's something that is a part of your tasawwuf and if you don't uh, address it then you can tell yourself you're a spiritual person but you're really not so it's like the people who's like, well, you can't judge me, only Allah can judge me. This is a matter of fact, but, you know, he's telling you, he's already like telling you openly that the judgment isn't a good judgment, uh, for you at least. Uh, so this is something that people have to take seriously as part of their suluk, and don't take it seriously to your own detriment, because it destroys, it destroys a, lot of, uh, a lot of the capacity that a person has to benefit looking at bad things uh, all the time. And I'm not like locked up in a house that, you know, I don't see the things that other people see as well. Uh, but it's important to keep uh, asking Allah if any, and nothing else. It's important to keep asking Allah Ta'ala for His, uh, 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 for His help. Because otherwise it leads to bad places. And uh, it's one of those things, it's like, a, um, it like escalates. So if a person is dealing with it at a particular level, it's, you know, keep dealing with it. Don't just let it go because it will escalate into weird and strange places. Uh, uh, many of which, uh, uh, you know, many of which are, you know, past the point of having any sort of humanity left in a person. Yet people are engaging in them. Yet people are engaging in them. Uh, and we'll continue this discussion after reading the next hadith, which is a very important hadith. Uh, it has a number of fawaid in terms of aqidah as well. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال كتب على ابن آدم نصيبه من الزنا مدرك ذلك لا محالة العينان زناهما النظر والأذنان زناهما الاستماع واللسان زناه الكلام واليد زناها البطش والرجل زناها الخطا والقلب يهوي ويتمنى ويصدق ذلك الفرج أو يكذبه متفق عليه وهذا لفظ مسلم ورواية البخاري مختصر مختصرة. so there this is a hadith there's a number of different uh, uh, there are a number of different uh, narrations of it uh, we can talk about them as well but Sayyidina Abu Hurairah رضي الله تعالى عنه narrates from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that Allah has decreed 
on the son of Adam, his a fixed share uh, from Zina that he will um, that he will he will apprehend, uh, and there's no way of getting around it. So everyone will commit some degree of zina. And this is decreed by Allah Ta'ala, no one will be able to escape from it. Uh, now it's important, it's important to understand that there is now in the terminology of the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that there is a, a, a difference between uh, two things. One is zina, the legal definition of zina, which is the entrance of the male member into the female private part illicit in illicit way uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a in a in a illicit way or sorry outside of the context of uh, of slavery or uh, of a valid slave contract of concubinage and uh, or a uh, uh, a marriage or an invalid one of either of them so this happens right right now pakistani politics is Everyone's talking about, you know, invalid nikah. Oh, are you calling so-and-so who you said his valid, their nikah wasn't valid? Are you saying they committed it? No. Contracting an invalid nikah is not considered zina legally. It's bad. It's really bad, but it's still not. The accusation of that is not considered an accusation of zina. Zina is like there's no, there's no legal contract, valid or invalid. The form of it was not even observed. Uh, uh, and... Even an invalid marriage contract is still considered zina if it's clear that the people trying to affect the form of it were aware that it's invalid. But if it happens according to some sort of deception or misunderstanding or whatever, then the marriage is, is dissolved. And if it's somewhere in between where the judge can't tell, it seems like it could have been either of them, the judge has the right to impose a discretionary punishment, but they won't give the actual had of zina until, unless it's clear that, that the people were just... They knew that it wasn't valid, and they did it anyway. Uh, but at any rate, uh, coming back, uh, uh, coming back to the d discussion, that's a legal definition of zina. This is a spiritual definition of zina. The two of them, there's, there should be, it should be common sense why there's some overlap over them. But uh, uh, he's making it clear that everyone will commit some sort of zina. He's talking about in the spiritual sense. Otherwise, there are many companions, radiAllahu anhum. But the Prophet ﷺ never punished them for, for zina. So if the two of them meant the exact same thing, then, then, you, uh, you know, then all of them would have had to be punished because it's had, but that's not what it is. So there's a, Allah Ta'ala decreed a fixed portion of zina for, and this is the spiritual definition, uh, for, every, uh, for every son, every one of the progeny of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, uh, and there's no there's no uh, uh, way that they're going to be able to escape from it, and he defines on what that spiritual zina that no one will be able to escape from is what is that the the two eyes the zina of the two eyes is to look at what's haram, and the zina of the two ears is to listen to what is haram, so that thing that thing that uh, uh, illicit uh, pleasure of the eyes. To look at it is zina. The illicit pleasure of the ears to listen to it is zina. So uh, you know wh whether it's something that comes up uh, in front of you at work or at uh, um, school or on your phone or you're listening to something. And you know this is something, mashallah, that zina has become uh, um, monetized. At some point or another, they realize that like. Zina basically, they literally say that. What do they say? They say sex sells, right? And it's not the sex that's within your lawfully married household, right? Uh, and it sells. That's why, that's why basically sexualized stuff, uh, is, sexualized people are used to market all kinds of weird uh, things that they ostensibly have nothing to do with. Um, and that's why their voices are used in singing. And that's why their figures are used in pictures and on videos. And uh, um, the zina of the ears is to listen, and the zina of the tongue is speech. So that also includes singing as well, by the way. Uh, uh, and so that's why, for the sisters in particular, um, you should keep your voice low. That's why, that's why we say that uh, during the, the dhikr, the sisters should only uh, say the dhikr loud enough for themselves to hear and nobody else. Um, that there's a haja, there's a necessity for men to speak in public, and for that reason, the sisters then will yield uh, that space to them. Uh, but if you use your speech in such a way that uh, is, you know that it has an effect on a person, then 
that then that's considered the zina of the tongue. Uh, the zina of the uh, hand is to touch the thing you're not supposed to touch. Uh, and this includes shaking hands with the opposite gender. This includes copying a cheap feel or, or a hug or whatever. Uh, these things are not okay. They're not all right. They're a form of abuse. Uh, if you enforce it on someone else, you're abusing them. If you accept it from them, then you're allowing them to abuse you. It's haram to abuse another person, and it's haram to allow yourself to be abused as well. Um, the, uh, 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 and the zina of the feet is to walk toward uh, uh, those places and those people and those experiences and those meetings that are, uh, are haram. And the heart will desire, uh, it will long, it will fall in love and it will long uh, for others. In another narration of this hadith, it says, وَالْقَلْبُ تَمَنَّ وَتَشْتَهِ تَمَنَّ يَعْنِي تَتَمَنَّ Right, what is tatamanna? Tamanni means a hope of something that's like a long shot. Obviously, don't make eye contact with each other right now. But people have all sorts of bizarre thoughts and desires that, of things that they wish would happen, which thankfully, mashallah, are not going to happen. But, you know, even then, that's still the zina of the heart. Is that those things, those things, just a desire for them. This is a test. Allah Ta'ala tested everybody with it. Okay. And if you do it on purpose, if you sit there and just think about it, like, you know, like somebody is like, I don't know, uh, has a perverted attraction to like squirrels. And so they sit there and think about squirrels all day, like on, on purpose. That's haram and a sin, gross. And you're totally liable for that. And a'udhu billah and Allah protect the squirrels from you, sick bastard. <laughs> but uh, that's the haram part. But what if someone has these thoughts involuntarily? Then also, that's going to happen as well. That's also part of your, that's part of your test. And so that's going to happen. It's part of the part that's decreed for you. You can't escape from it. It's also a thing. It happens. So there's a line between, one is like you're sitting there thinking about it, right? This is another thing that uh, Ustaji Mulana Hassan is very uh, 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 fond of saying, and it's a good affirmation for us for those of you who cannot afford therapy and your insurance doesn't cover it uh, i'm not a licensed therapist but you know much like the muslim version of stuart smalley here goes uh that the the, the shaitan is like described aptly as the the thief that enters into your heart and steals iman from you if you're afflicted with Thoughts that come back to you again and again. Like you pray five times a day, you give sadaqah, you eat 100% seventh degree black belt, hand slaughter halal, and all the things you're doing right. And still somehow or another, the, you keep thinking about squirrels, you know, and you can't get squirrels out of your mind, right? Um, know that the thing that is involuntary, the thing that comes to you involuntarily, it is, uh, 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 it is something that uh, uh, shaitan will not rob a house that it has nothing of value in it. Shaitan afflicts people. Why? Because there's something to be afflicted. If you're already like out there, like, you know, uh, transacting in riba and eating haram and drinking haram and worshiping idols and, uh, you know, uh, have your like whatever, your Ukraine flag and your uh, uh, Israel flag, you know, up bumper stickers up on your car and all. You're already, so why does he have to afflict you with anything? He doesn't have to mess with you. You're doing his work for him and not the other way around, right? So shaitan is only going to steal, so try, to, try to rob a house that has something of value inside of it. So don't be completely out of it. Don't be completely like, I, I'm ready to give up because this is so difficult. No, just keep keep every time the thought comes to your head, keep negating it and you keep racking up good deeds more and more and more. This happened even to the companions radiallahu anhum. Someone's like, oh, look at these Sufis. They talk about what their shaykh said, but they leave the hadith of the Prophet Actually, the point is that this is exactly what the Messenger of Allah said. That the, the companion came to Rasulullah and said, Ya Rasulullah, we have some thoughts that if we were to put, put them into words and share them with other people, the people would like kill us. And we don't know what, like, or sorry, not, not that, that they would kill us, that we want to kill ourselves for having such thoughts. Right? That the people have un involuntary wasawas of terrible things. And what did the Messenger of Allah say? What? 
He says that he, he said that the fact that you come to me in this state, that you come and you don't like it, and you're telling me these things happen, but you don't like it, this is exactly the proof that you're a believer. Meaning what? Shaitan is, you have something, the thief doesn't go and rob the house that has no goods in it. The thief goes and robs the house that is, has valuables inside of it. That's the one that the thief is going to target, not the, not the one that's completely like busted out windows and like even the meth heads took all the copper already and there's not, you know, even, even they have better houses to like go and like, you know, whatever, shoot up and smoke out in and whatever, right? No one wants to, no, Shaitan doesn't come to that person. They're already done. They're finished. They're already on his team. Uh, so uh, coming back to this hadith, that the walqalbu yahwa wa yatamanna, in the riwayat, tamanna wa tashtahi, that it that it that it turns with all of these long shot hopes and desires. <laughs> if you do it on purpose, that's your bad. If it happens anyway, because you're like whatever, uh, uh, like non homosexual or homosexual for that matter, with but you have a proper hemoglobin count and like you get enough calories in the day or whatever that you still have some desire in you for something. Uh, if it's involuntary, then keep negating it, keep negating it. It's going to happen. There's no one who's free of these things. Keep negating it unless they suffer again from nutrient deficiencies or whatever. But so keep negating it. Uh, and if you're doing it on purpose, that's your own stupidity. Stop doing that. You know, stop sustaining it on purpose. Stop focusing on it. But it's going to happen. Uh, and then afterward, what's the last line of the hadith? That the last thing after all of the eyes have done their zina, the ears have done their zina, the hand has done its zina, the, the tongue has done its zina, the, the heart has done its zina. The last thing that's left is the private parts. Either they say we're going to either obey the the zina of the eyes and the zina of the ears and the zina of the uh, the tongue and the zina of the feet and the zina of the hands and the zina of the heart or we're going to obey Allah Ta'ala. So this is an important hadith. One of the reasons this hadith is it's uh, toward the, you know, it's it's considered so important is it's also a proof of predestination. Right, that uh, uh, because this is a major heresy uh, within the history of the Ummah, the heresy of the the Qadaris, the the greatest group of whom were the Mu'tazila, greatest in terms of like the most famous, uh, of which were and the most intellectually influential were the Mu'tazila. That they believe that a person creates their own actions, and that you have free will. Allah Taala doesn't have any choice in the things that you do. Uh, sadly, the text of the Quran doesn't bear this out. It's very clear that you don't desire anything except for Allah desired you to desire that thing. So we have this idea in Sunni creed, which is a very unique contribution to the philosophy of the world because this is something that not only Muslims talk about. Does a person have free will or are they predestined? Right? If they have free will in things, then uh, 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 you know, you know, how do you account for the fact that everything in the physical world functions according to a particular norm. Even for materialists, right? They're determinist materialists as well. They say if every electron acts a particular way, if every neutron acts a particular way, if all the forces are, uh, you know, act a particular way, then isn't what seems like free will to you just a very complex set of fixed occurrences? Whereas on the other hand, it's intuitive to every human being in their own experience that you want to do stuff and your desires are very connected to your to those actions which is not all human beings find them intuitive but you know even animals find them intuitive that's why if you throw a rock at a dog the dog is more angry at you than it is at the rock uh and uh, uh you know that's the same thing you know uh Mawlana, Mawlana, Mawlana he mentions this that what kind of a person imagine allah gave you everything you have if he gave you a beautiful wife it's not ihsan of her parents. It's ihsan of what? Of Allah. It's not the favor, the beautiful favor of her parents that they allowed her to marry you. It's a beautiful favor of Allah. He says to thank her parents for it, ultimately, is like somebody sends you a gift and you thank the postman, but you don't thank the one who sent the gift. This is, right? So the understanding, anyway, coming back to this uh you know, this idea of predestination being established by the hadith that Allah tells us everybody's gonna, there's a certain amount of zina no one will be able to escape from. One of these things, in some quantum or another, a person is going to be afflicted by them. 
Someone's going to see something they didn't want to see or that they wanted to see. Someone's going to hear something they didn't want to hear or they wanted to hear or someone's going to etc. throughout all of them. But there's a certain quantum. Everybody's going to be afflicted by it. And then afterward, they have a choice that they can either let their private parts follow the path chalked out by those things or they can follow Allah Ta'ala's commandment and not uh, succumb to this, uh, to not succumb to this evil uh, and to this sin. Uh, and uh, there's a lot more that can be uh, said uh, with regards to it. But this is a very important hadith. Um, and it explains a lot. And it helps a person also understand how they're going to tackle and get through these things. That if you want to not commit the zina of the private parts, um, then close those avenues. Close the avenues of the eyes. Close the avenues of the ears. Close the avenues of the, the, the speech. Uh, of the uh, close the avenues of the hands touching and the feet walking just close those avenues and uh, the rest of it there's something in the heart if uh, a person feels it as long as the avenues are closed as long as even the heart you constrict it that you want something but you don't you tr you negate it or you try not to dwell on it you don't conscientiously keep that uh, that fire alive inside of your heart then uh, uh, it's very little chance that you're going to end up committing you're going to end up committing zina. You have a far greater chance that you'll get through free from this uh, stain and tarnish uh, on your body and on your mind and on your uh, spirit uh, uh, on, uh, in this world or on the day of judgment. Because there are a lot of ramifications of this. Uh, and it doesn't just stop there. Uh, it goes a lot worse. Then you have the different levels of, uh, you know, there's different levels of depth and des descent within that. That, you know, one thing is to consenting adults do something in a responsible, at least a medically responsible way, right? Then people give each other diseases. Then you have people abusing one another. Then you have people harming physically one another and their, their desires become more and more demented uh, and more and more deviant and more and more uh, destructive. And uh, it ends in weird places where like, I don't know. I remember when I was studying the Risala, uh, uh, I read in the BBC like a, a German dude put up an ad saying, I'm a cannibal and I want to eat somebody. Anyone want to be eaten? And another guy is like, yeah, another German dude was like, yeah, sure. And so they set a time. And then when they met and had chai before, like eating one, eat the other, they both realized that they were homosexuals. And they, you know, so that level of depravity, I'm hoping that the people who come to Rabat on a Sunday night, no matter how much tamanni and tashtahi you've done in your life, that you've not ever naturally desired anything like that before, right? But the issue is this. You say, those are human beings. You get to that point through this predictable set of, uh, of gate, gates that you cross. You hear a story about somebody abusing children. People get caught with gigabytes of child pornography on their uh, phones and on their computers. People get caught with bizarre animals and God knows what other weird things that they, bizarre diseases that people didn't know about from before that our forefathers didn't know about and this and that and all of these types of deviance and all of these types of weird outcomes that happen. This is the gateway to all of it. If you can shut it down here, you shut all of that down. If you're relax here, you're taking a step in that direction. It's not a good direction to be in. Sometimes you should also like take it easy on yourself as well. Some people, mashallah, like pious Sufi, you know, the guys who like insist on sitting on the floor even though there's a seat on the couch. They're like, oh, I looked at a girl, now I'm never going to Jannah. I'm like, well, that's not how that works actually. And B, on the Day of Judgment, the people who looked at girls and the girls who looked at guys, they're going to see how low the, the depravity went. They're going to be like, thank Allah Ta'ala. I'm not like, I didn't ever like do it with another dude and then eat him or whatever you know what i mean like it goes a lot stuff for a lot this is something this is you won't find this someone's like look at this guy he's being so vulgar you won't find this in the kalam of the old mashash they were a civilization that was innocent from like even entertaining the idea people would do stuff like this because the the the, the fortifications of iman were so strong inwardly and outwardly between people's habits, customs, the same culture, everyone's like, that's not Islam, that's culture. Why the culture is there because of the Islam, it worked, people are not doing it right right now, but the culture was there, like, you know, what is cultural practice? Somebody will, like, have a mendi and, like, like sing weird songs with a dhol or whatever. We don't have, like, 
Amandi for like two guys getting married, do we? Right? There's something in the, there's some protection in, even in the culture, even when people ignorantly do them in ways that violate the Sharia and betray an ignorance of what the point of that thing was in the first place. Still, still, there was some protection people had from these things that these things didn't used to cross people's minds that this is going to be something that they're going to do. And so one time someone told me, you know what, Mulana, there's something called Minder. I'm like, shut up. And they're like, no, really, you know what it is? I'm like, I already understood that you're lying. There's no such thing. And yes, there is. And then they pulled it up on their phone and they showed me. And I'm like, la hawla wa quwwata illa billah. And now we're in a time right now, we're in a place right now where the people, Bichari and Minder, are like the, still the pious ones. <laughs> Why? Because when the defenses are gone, then the enemy overruns one building by building. They'll go and overrun the entire city. Someone's like, what's wrong with that? I found my... Okay, good, fine. Alhamdulillah. Like, I'm not saying that you're like, you're not yet at dude eats other dude, gay dude, like level yet. <laughs> you understand? You're far from that still, inshallah. But I remember when even this wasn't a thing. The point is, is fine. You know, these things, these are tides. They're, they're like a tsunami. You're not going to stand outside with a bucket and be like, you know, like whatever, right? Some things you have no choice about, you have no choice about. Within the four walls of your house, within the way you raise your children, within the, the spiritual four, four walls of your heart, those places nobody can force you to do anything you don't want to. So just remember that these are these are these are the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and uh, uh, this is how a person will survive the tidal wave of, uh, uh, of of wickedness that has affected people. So all the other hadith of this uh, chapter they have to do with uh, precisely uh, 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 precisely this issue and issues that are tangentially related with it. So we will leave off for uh, here uh, today because. Uh, between moving and between time, we, we're short. But this is an, an introduction to this, this issue. Please take it seriously. Other people don't take it seriously to their detriment. So we have masjid events within the masjid where people are free mixing with genders and uh, men and women are uh, uh, behaving in ways that are not proper. And the solution to the problem, people say, well, how else are young people going to get married? Or Make a solution. The solution is not to uh, uh, not to like open one of the gates uh, to your enemy. Make other solutions, better solutions. If you're in a situation where that's the only way where you can get married or whatever, that's fine. Sometimes it's you have to just take the L, like young people say, and uh, do the thing that you need to in order to get married and protect yourself. But then also know inside of your heart that there's a better way of doing all of these things. Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq wa sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulihi sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in